0: Tonight, if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter number fifteen, Proverbs chapter number fifteen, and um, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter number fifteen, and we're going to pick up in uh, verse number six tonight. We finished off verse number five uh, last week, and uh, picking up tonight in Proverbs chapter fifteen and verse number six. Those of you that are new to us, we have. Uh, been studying through the Book of Proverbs about a, about a year and uh, so many months. <laughs> so uh, we're trying to stay on track. We're on a three year track to finish the book of Proverbs. We'll see if it happens or not, but I've enjoyed it and I enjoy every week preparing and uh, I enjoy teaching it. so let's ask God for wisdom tonight. Father, we love you, we need you. Open our eyes, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open up our minds and hearts to receive that truth, Lord. And uh, may it be practical tonight and helpful tonight to God's people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll give me just a little bit more, uh, Brother Jerry, I'd appreciate that. That'll help me. Thank you so much. That sounds good there. Proverbs chapter 15, and the Bible says here in verse number 6, In the house of the righteous is much treasure. But in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. In the house of the righteous is much treasure. But in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Revenues means income. And uh, the word trouble here means to disturb. Uh, 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 Let me give you a statement and I'll expound. A life of wealth does not mean a life of ease. A life of wealth does not mean a life of ease. So, part of my uh, a time in school in college was running a pickup and delivery route for overnight transportation. And uh, I pulled up and it was an inside delivery and it was a residential street. And uh, huge homes on a residential street up in the north side of the city uh, and uh, I don't know what I was delivering but I stopped at this house and there was a security guard I made my inside delivery he said you know who owns the house next door I said no who owns he said You Hefner he said I got the keys you want to see inside I was like sure <laughs> and we went inside this, you and I would call it a mansion right in the city and, uh, and uh, we went in uh, a room and it was all wood paneled and he walked over to a little panel and hit a button and the whole, the whole, the whole room uh, the panels turned and, uh, and the chandelier lowered I mean it's mechanical and it, this uh, beautiful wood panel room turned into a ballroom with the touch of a button And I don't know how many rooms were in the house. And there was a pool inside the house. And uh, in the pool, uh, you'd swim down in the pool. And then you'd take you up into little coves with rooms with two-way glass. So you could look in the room without looking out. I need not expound. But I remember, this is... uh, walk through this home and thinking how ungodly and wicked and filthy this place is. And you know, from a from a materialistic standpoint, who would say, Man, this is unbelievable. Yeah, but I guarantee there's a lot of trouble in that place. And a wise man said here in the in the house of the righteous is much treasure in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Is trouble. Now I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, treasure, real treasure. The Bible talks about in Luke 16. It, it, it talks about true riches, true riches. You know what you don't have in a house like that? You don't have peace. You don't have peace out in here. You might have a fancy house. You Might hit a button, and you know, your walls start folding or whatever. But you tell you what you don't have. You don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't have the joy of the Lord. You know, can I tell you something? Do you know you can only eat your food one bite at a time? Did you know that? Abundance, listen to me very carefully. I got a message on this, I'm going to preach it and put it together. I don't, I'll, I'll have a prayer, but I got it. thoughts. Abundance is a challenge more than it's a blessing. We often talk about, boy, God's been good, and we enumerate the things that God has done in the abundance in our life. And as an expression of gratitude, that is in itself a good thing. But keep this in mind, dear friend. Abundance is a greater challenge than it is a blessing. Remember that. Let me tell you something. Happiness has nothing to do with what you have. Happiness is this. Happiness is when what you have is what you want. When what you have and what you want are equal, you're happy. It has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with if your wants and your haves are equal. So if you're not happy, all right, if you're unhappy tonight, you let's say your wants are up here and your haves are down here. Well how can you be happy? Well, one thing is get everything you want. But the problem is this. If you believe the solution to your unsettled feeling inside is to get everything you want, then guess what? When you get it, you'll want more. You understand that? But there's another way to be happy. That is want what you have. Want what you have. Amen? (laughs) Uh, We throw away. In this country. We throw away. More than many people in the world. Will see in their lifetime. Much of the world would love to have our garbage. (laughs) They would love to have our junk. And yet. We are the most heavily medicated people on planet Earth. There's more depressed people per capita here than anywhere else in the world. And we got more than anybody else. Evidently, getting more stuff doesn't make you happy. Right? Right. But that's why I say prosperity. Listen, prosperity is a blessing in the sense that God, like you and I as children, we love to do things for our children. We understand this and God feels that way toward us. And to whatever degree it makes us humble and grateful, it is indeed a blessing. But more often than not, it's a challenge more than a blessing. The more we have, the more challenging it is to be grateful and appreciative. Amen? Sometimes we don't need a shiny new something. We need a new appreciation for what we already have. Amen? And so, true riches. A, a, wicked, a wicked man's wealth increases his life, uh, his troubles. Uh, a wicked man's wealth increases his troubles. Uh, how so? Well, uh, his wealth increases his fears. Uh, who's going to take advantage of me? Increases his uh, suspicions. Who, who who's really my friend and who's trying to who's trying to who do me? It increases his worry. What's going to happen to all my stuff when I die? <laughs> Riches increase also his ability to indulge in sinful pleasures, plunging him further into the woes of sin. Can I tell you something? Listen, if having enough money to buy a boat keeps you out of church on Sunday, I hope you lose your job. I don't really mean that. But I think you understand the point I was trying to make. Right? If having enough money to travel the world means that you're going to quit your Sunday school class and stop winning souls and not be in church faithfully, you'd be better off losing everything and starting over again. Amen? Amen. Yes. I'm all for... God has blessed us abundantly. And I'm not... Uh, uh disparaging uh success and so forth uh, uh in in your work and i want you to prosper i want you i, I like the like the apostle said in the new testament i want your soul to prosper and your health i want you to prosper physically financially i i want you to but not at the expense of our walk with god not at the expense of our peace not at the expense of a clear conscience amen it's not worth it. It's not worth it. In the house of the righteous men are true riches, this verse says. Riches like love, like peace of mind, like joy, like wisdom, like knowledge, like a happy home, like a happy marriage, like contentment. These are treasures a wicked man knows, knows nothing about. Look at verse number 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doth not so. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. i um, uh this down if you're taking notes. Knowledge is meant to be shared. Knowledge is meant to be shared. And, and I, I'm talking about, we're not talking about gossip here. I know something about so and so. But I'm talking about knowledge. Things, uh, I, uh, by the way, I'm, hey, I'm so glad to see you tonight. God bless you. Amen. Little bus rider. Is this your first time to go to Pat's Club? Wonderful. I'm so excited. You're nine years old. Sweet, sweet. You need to get to know this little girl. She is sweet as, as as honey. She rides bus number two. And she's a good girl. And she's here tonight. And I'm so excited about that. You know what? She's going to learn things. Coming to Patch Club, she's going to learn things. Amen? She's become very faithful. Very, very faithful. And, you know, knowledge is meant to be shared. Amen? Everybody ought to be sharing what God has shown you, what you know. I remember years ago uh, going to a gas pump, and a 16-year-old boy was on a van, church van with me. And I said, hey, you got? will not you get out? I'll go in and pay, and you could, uh, we're going to get $20 worth of gas. You pump the gas, I'll go inside and pay. And I came out, this 16-year-old young man, I came out, and he was standing at the gas pump looking at the gas pump. And all of a sudden I realized I would asked this 16-year-old young man to do something. He had no clue how to do it. Sixteen years old, he did not know how to pump gas. You know why? His dad's been in prison his whole life. His dad's not in his life. He lives with his mom. His mom never taught him how to you know, something just like that, as simple as taking time. I, I yeah, I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about teaching Sunday school. I'm talking about that. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm just talking about life knowledge. Amen? Life knowledge. And and young men uh teaching these young men just take it you don't not in a in a in a formal setting necessarily i'm just talking about pulling pulling people towards you and teaching them something sharing something with them and learning something uh, uh is uh is valuable it adds to people's life and and the bible says here that's what wise people do they disperse knowledge it's not i want to be smartest man in the room but i learned something to help me i like to help somebody else amen and we all ought to have that. I think uh, uh just the things that have been shared with us this summer, Um good night, I I will never read about Elijah and Cherith, the book Cherith again, the same after hearing Brother Bishop's message on Cherith, you know. And what he shared with us. What Brother Suter, oh my goodness, I never heard anything quite like that in my life. And the things that he shared with us and gave to us, the knowledge, I think about Brother Cape when he was here with his precious daughter and his dear wife and and what they gave us. I think about Bud Silva was here a couple years ago. And and uh, took him 32 years where he could tell the story. But after 32 years, he was able to take that testimony and share it. His wife and a van loaded kids on the way to Christian school. Tractor trailer came across and head on collision with him. The only survivor was his little four-year-old daughter. Everybody else in the van, including his wife, his children, his wife, all the other kids all died. And he couldn't talk about it for 32 years. And now God uses that and the things that God taught him in that. You know, I don't know what you've been through, but you know what? You know some things that need to be shared. Amen? And God's people ought to be, we all ought to be teachers. Hebrews five twelve talks about a time. In fact, I want you to go there. Turn just for a moment. We won't linger long here. But I want to remind you of this. There comes a time. If you are not sharing the wisdom that God has given you. If you're not teaching others what you have learned. You're going to start going backwards in your Christian life. It's a Bible principle. Hebrews chapter 5. And look down at um, verse number 12. Hebrews 5 verse number 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need. That one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, the spoken word of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Notice the phrase there, have need, they become someone who needs milk, meaning they had gotten off the milk. Now they need to go back on the milk. You understand that? You see that? And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. They can't handle meat. For everyone that useth milk, the milk of the word, is what we're talking about here, is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. He's a baby Christian. He's immature. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, mature, grown-up believers, even those who, look at this, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Look at that phrase in verse number 12. The Bible says there's a time when ye ought to be teachers. Folks, listen. This for all of us. If you come to a place in your Christian life where you've been fed, you've been fed, you've been fed, you've taken, you've taken, you've learned, you've learned, you've learned, and if you don't begin to give that out, if you don't begin to share with others what God has taught you, and I don't mean necessarily in a formal setting, I think there ought to be a desire, if you're, if you've been saved for a while, there ought to be a desire in you to teach in some aspect to teach others. You know what we need right now. Damien got baptized Sunday. Let me tell you why he got baptized. Because Cole, right over there, said to Damien, Damien, I'll come, uh, did y'all, uh, What? when do y'all meet? When, when do y'all, when do y'all uh, sit down together and talk together? On Wednesdays? On Wednesdays. So before the service, on Wednesday, they sit down, they study the Bible together. They study the Bible together. Damien wants to grow whole life to help people grow. They sit down, they study the Bible together. And studying the Bible the other week, Damien said, Pastor, I realize I need to be baptized, and I want to join the church. Praise God. Now, that wasn't in a classroom. That wasn't uh, in, behind the pulpit. That's just sitting in two chairs next to each other. Now, can I tell you There's 30 or 40 people sitting in front of me right now. That You could do that. Let me try that again. There's 30 or 40 people sitting in front of me right now. You could do that. Amen. Want to try it one more time? (laughs) You could. Now, maybe you not had a vision. You know, that's on me. Let me own this part for not giving the vision. But I'm giving it now. How about that? (laughs) Uh, But think about that. You could do that. Many of you could do that. And maybe it doesn't matter when it is. You you can meet somebody for breakfast once a week or twice a week. Or you can go to home or whatever. Uh, You can meet before church. You can stay 20 minutes after service. But I'm just saying that if you, listen, we want to get fed when we come to church. We need to get fed when we come to church, right? But if you want to grow, you've got to come to a place in your life where you're taking the things that you've learned and you're sharing them with somewhere else, someone else. And the Bible says you get to that point and you don't, you start going backwards. You start going backwards and you have to go back on the bottle You have to go back on the bottle. Look. You know what happens when you're on the bottle? You cry a lot. You whine a lot. Somebody gives you a piece of meat, you choke on it. Now we need some, you know what we need? I I didn't think about it. It's not in the outline, but I like It just came up with it. You're going to like it. How many of you think you're gonna like it? You know what we need in the Christian life some meat eaters. I like it. You like it? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> we need some meat eaters. Amen. How you become a meat eater? You got to start teaching. A wise person disperses knowledge. Amen. All right, let's keep going. Uh, look, at verse number eight. Uh, let's go, we're gonna combine verse eight and nine. The sa- sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. To the Lord, I stopped there for just a minute. Well, a sacrifice, I thought it's a good thing. I thought the sacrifice is a good thing. Here, the Bible says, "The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight." Upright is sort of like our word straightforward. Maybe you'd say sincere. You might, maybe you'd say genuine. That's the, uh, what the word upright denotes. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. So this sacrifice, Bible talking about sacrifice of praise, it, this could be a sacrifice of prayer that's mentioned in God in the first half of the verse. He says that that word abomination means that it means it's, it stinks in the nostrils of God. It, it's it's a, when you when you get a whiff of something, you're like, oh, oh I'm going to regurgitate. That is the Bible word abomination. When God smells something, and it's disingenuous. He goes, oh. Read the first part of Isaiah. He said, enough with your feasts. Enough with your sacrifices. They're religious exercises. He said, it is making me sick. You see, God looks right into our heart, doesn't he? And he knows hypocrisy. And so the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The prayer... Of of the upright is his delight. He loves sincerity uh, in prayer and sacrifice. Verse 9 is closely associated. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. But he that loveth, but he loveth him, God loveth him, that followeth after righteousness. Let me give you a statement and I'll kind of explain it. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be manipulated. <clears throat> you can't fake God out. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You can't fake God out. Uh, <clears throat> Today, in talking to this young man, this young Muslim man, I, 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 I tried to share with him. The, the, all, the gospel and religion can be summarized into two words it doesn't matter what religion it is. It could be Catholicism. It could be Islam. It could be Buddhism. It could be uh, 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 Hinduism. It doesn't matter what religion it is. All could be summarized in one word. And the gospel of Jesus Christ could be summarized in one word. Religion could be summarized in the word do. And the gospel could be summarized in the word done. Amen? Amen. Now, Hindus think you got to do this to, to make it... Uh, Paradise, heaven, whatever. Muslims think you gotta do this. Roman Catholic says you gotta do this, so forth. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. Everybody's got their own to do list. But the, but the bottom line is, they have a to do list, and if you don't do those things, you get, you go, you burn. See so you know what the motivation of this is? Fear. Fear. The gospel is done. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Amen. I don't have to help Him out. He did it all. It's done. It's done. The great transaction's done. Amen. Amen. So guess what? My motivation is not fear. I'm not going to burn. It's done. I trusted His payment. Amen. I can't burn. God's not a liar. Amen. So guess what my motivation is? My motivation is gratitude and love people that don't understand the gospel and think if you take away the motivation of fear then nobody's going to live for God my friend bless, bless the Lord all my soul love is a much greater motivator than fear I can get some people to do something out of fear but buddy, if I convince them and show them that I love them they'll bend over backwards and do things for me out of a love they never would have done for me for fear amen that's where martyrs come from martyrs come from I'll lay my life down deny Christ oh no I love him too much. I couldn't deny him. So you can't you can't manipulate the Lord. You can't fake him out. God is sickened by insincere sacrifice. If a wicked man wants something from God, let him humble himself, let him repent, let him yield and come sincerely because the prayer of the sincere one, the upright one, God delights in. You remember King Saul? He had a he had a, a commission from the Lord to destroy the Amalekites. And in their totality. And, uh, and so what did he do? He half obeyed, and half obedience is what? It is complete disobedience. And, uh, uh and so when King Saul came walking up, uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, I've, I've done what the Lord told me to do. <laughs> and nobody asked him, but he's feeling guilty. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. <laughs> And, uh, and the truth is, he hadn't. And what did, what did uh, Samuel say to Saul? He said, Samuel, Samuel said to Saul, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? Amen. I fear this. I don't fear. I know. I, I, I don't know anybody's heart. But I believe. I'll say it that way. I believe there's a lot of so-called worship being lifted up as a sacrifice to God, and I, I have to think that God in heaven says, "I don't like the smell of that." Right. Now let me tell you something. I'm not saying that that the, 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 a, 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 a young Christian. Can't worship God. If you're born again, you can worship God. But let me tell you something. But to embrace the world, hold the world's hand with one hand, and want to come over here and hold God's hand. Um, if you want to, if you, you you want to worship the Lord, then you need to let go of the world's hand. Amen. Amen. The little boy on the playground. He walked to a little girl on the playground. He said, "Will you hold my hand?" to The little girl. She said, "Yeah." When you stop holding hers. You got to wonder how much time when God feels that God will you hold my hand? Yeah, we I mean, stop holding names of the world, and as much of Christianity today has mingled, co-mingled the world with the church, and it's confusing. I mean, it's just absolute utter confusion. And um, anyway, that stuff makes God sick. The Bible said this. It says in Proverbs chapter twenty-one, verse four. Uh, it said this. It said the plowing. This is interesting. The plowing of the wicked is sin. The plow. I thought that's like hard work. How many ever been behind a plow? Not the one you drive, but the other kind. Have many ever been? anybody ever been behind a plow? All right, a few folks. All right, okay. All right. Uh, they tell me it's hard work. Uh, I'm bound to determine never to try it. But anyway, plowing. Seems like that'd be a good thing, right? But what does the Bible say? The plowing of the wicked is sin. How in the world is that? The plowing of the wicked is sin. What does the Bible say? But therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, including plowing, do what? All to the glory of God. For a wicked man, an unsaved man who has rejected God, even his good efforts are an offense to God. Because he wants to do them absent of God. He wants to do them for his own benefit, for his own glory. In his own strength, not acknowledging the God who's given him the air to breathe and the soil to turn over and the iron ore by which that plow was made, and God said, so "You plow in rebellion against me." And he said, "That makes me sick." We owe everything to God. Amen. A simple, sincere prayer is His delight. I was praying with one of our men, one of our African men, this week came to office, and uh, we talked a while. And uh, I guess it was last week, actually. But anyway, we we, we got down on our knees to pray. There's a real, real, real need in his life. And we got down to pray, and I said, I'm going to pray first. And I prayed a little while. And I said, now, brother, you pray. I said, you pray however you want. I said, you want to pray in English for me. And that sweet man began to pour out his heart to God. I mean, it's ripped my heart out, praying in his native tongue. And, and getting a hold of God, I couldn't understand a word He was saying. But buddy, I felt I was in the presence of the Lord. It was a humble, sincere heart cry, and He prayed for a good while in there. And it moved my heart. That that second verse says, "The way of the wicked." That's the wicked's way of doing things. The wicked's way of doing things is an abomination to the Lord. Can I tell you something? There's a way the world does things, and there's a way God does. God's people do things. Amen. God's people are honest. God's people are straightforward. God's people have integrity. Amen. And the world may say, well, ain't no big deal. You know, you can you, you can lie on this. You don't to put all that down. That's the world's way of doing things. That makes God sick and we're God's people and we all do things God's way. Amen. But he loves, the Bible says, him that followeth after righteousness. I simply say, God loves to see us doing the right thing. Amen. I don't know, you guys in business, I know you face this. I know you face this. Everybody pays taxes faces this. <laughs> and there's just some times, you know, where the truth is, it'd be so easy to do what everybody else does, but you got to make a decision, you know, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to do the right thing? Yeah, But everybody else does, yeah. But we're God's people, amen? We're God's people. Remember that verse, says that man, uh, the right kind of man swears to his own hurt. He says, man, I know it, 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 it'll hurt me, but I am going to do the right thing. I am going to do what I said I was going to do, amen? That's we're God's people. Verse 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Here's a statement uh, for this verse. When we're wrong, we hate being reminded. (laughs) When we're wrong, we hate being reminded. When we're wrong we hate being reminded. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. If I'm wrestling with an issue, what ought to be to me a telltale sign is what happens inside of me when someone corrects me about it. When well, someone listen, the right kind of spirit and the right kind of attitude, we've we've looked at many verses already, halfway through Proverbs. We look at many verses already that have to do with correction. And whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Amen. And our spirit and our attitude toward correction. Revelation 3.19 says as many, Jesus, red letters. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That is God's expression of love. Amen. Well, I feel like God is spanking me. Well, I don't know if he is, but if he is, it's because he loves us. Amen. And because we need it. Praise the Lord. That's His way of showing us His love. Somebody might say, well, I don't see anything wrong with this. Okay, all right, okay. Does it grieve you when it comes up? Is there some discomfort on the inside when that issue comes up that you want to defend? That ought to be a telltale sign. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Now, there's uh, different forms of the word reprove, reproving, and so forth like that. But the word reproof in that particular form is used 15 times in the Bible. All of them except two are in the book of Proverbs. And four out of the 15 are in this chapter. Look at verse uh, uh, 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. He's looking down the road. He lets that reproof guide his decisions. Verse number 10 Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. <laughs> he that hateth reproof shall die. Listen. The attitude that says, I can't stand anybody tell me what to do. Is a deadly attitude. So God said in his holy word. Uh, Yet another broken hearted mother came. Excuse me. Uh, I think it was yesterday. To the office. Her son was my age. He was often reproved. Often reproved. The Bible said, he that is often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. And his was without remedy, and she's brokenhearted. Verse 31 is the other place in this chapter. The ear that heareth the reproof, same chapter 15, 31. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. Reproof is life saving. Amen. it save your life. Verse 32: He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. If a person just simply refuses to listen to instructions, And good counsel and good advice. The Bible said he is despising his own soul. His own soulish well-being. That's your part of you. That's your mind. That's your decision making. That's where your emotions reside. And you're, you're, you're despising your own soul. Verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men. Simply stated, God sees our hearts. Amen. God sees our hearts. If God, this verse says hell and destruction are before the Lord. In other words, he can see all the way down in the depths of hell. And if he can see all the way down in the depths of hell, he can see all the way into my heart. Amen? He can see all the way in my heart. The New Testament says this. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This young man this afternoon, took him the book of Genesis. We went through the first four chapters of Genesis. He will to know where God came from. So we start in Genesis 1. And we got over there about, uh, he had heard some things about this, but he was intrigued by how sin came into the world. And um, and uh, and I, t- I told him, I said, here's a serpent. And Satan t- uh, t- took that form of the serpent, and he tempted Eve. And Eve uh, looked and sinned and gave to Adam, and Adam sinned. And the next moment, they went from being innocent to being ashamed. and Their eyes were open. For the first time, they felt guilt. They felt shame. They felt embarrassment. And God comes and he says, Adam, where art thou? Adam hid said, Adam hid between uh, among the trees. They try to cover themselves up and they hid. Covering it up didn't work. Hiding didn't work. God finally called him out and said, Adam, um Adam said, I was naked and ashamed. He said, Who told you that? You didn't eat the fruit, you didn't eat it, the tree, did you? He said, Eve made me do it. Eve said, The servant made me do it. And so we try to cover it up, we try to hide, we try to blame someone else, and we get no relief, right? It doesn't work. still troubled in our souls. All things are naked and open under the eyes of whom we have to do. He alone, as the Bible said, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The heart is wherein uh, lie the affections, the sentiments, the desires, the motives, the intentions, the doubts, the fears, the loves, the resentment. Look, you want to know what's in your heart. First of all, the Bible said this, the heart is, above all things, it is what? Deceitful. Do you know this? You are more likely to be deceived by your own heart than you are the devil himself. You are more likely to be deceived by your own heart than you are the devil himself. That's what the Bible says. He's the father of all lives. But the Bible said the most deceitful thing is your own heart. You know if this. If you got loving people in your life that see something in your life that you don't see in your own life, you ought to thank God for that, Amen. And you know, ought not not quickly dismiss it. Yes, the heart is deceitful above all things. The great. Sometimes you've heard this before. Maybe the greatest delusion. I have a good heart. Have you ever heard that? Hey, if you die, you know, you go to heaven. I think I would. I have a good heart. <laughs> That person is well-entrenched in self-deception, right? Because the Bible said the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? I want you to sing with me here. We're going to close with this verse. Sing with me Psalm 139. Most of you know it, and you don't need to turn to it. But the last two verses is what I want to emphasize. The last two verses, Psalm 139. If you don't um, know this, turn to Psalm 139, verse 17 to 18. We're going to sing. And then we're going to finish with verse 23 and 24. We sing verse 17, 18, 23, and 24. When we get to verse 23 and we sing this, look, God's word says our heart is deceitful. If you want to know your own heart, you have to ask God to reveal your heart to you. If you want to know what's in your heart, you've got to talk to God because God knows our hearts. He can see down the depths of hell. He can see in our hearts is what the verse says. If you want to know what's in your heart, you've got to go to God and say, God, will you show me my own heart? When we sing this. The, the psalmist uh, 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 prayed this prayer here. David wrote these words. And he that's what he said. He, got, he said, search me, O God. Sing with me. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I away I am still with thee. Sing this from your heart now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any. something, your heart will absolutely fool you. One of the great tragedies and maybe if you talk about social ills and I understand this is sensitive but if you talk about social ills, you could talk about transgenderism now, you could talk about drug issues, you could talk about um, child abuse, you could talk about the deplorable education system. But if not at the top, real close to the top of what has brought destruction to the family unit in this country and around the world is no fault divorce. You make a commitment and it's a legal binding commitment and it means suppose we had no fault home loans. Who would pay their bills? Nobody. A legal binding commitment that's made. And we come along and say, well, it doesn't matter. If you want out, you can get out. And the other party just, they just deal with it. Now, let me tell you something. How does this happen? The heart's deceitful. But 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 I love her. The Bible said, love doth not behave itself unseemly. Girls, you listen to me. If he wants to misbehave with you, he does not love you. He might lust you, but he does not love you. Why love him. Not if you want to misbehave. It ain't love. You can tell yourself it's love. But God's word said otherwise, and I choose to believe God. Now, you, you with all your heart and soul, you can believe it be true. And it's a dirty lie. If the devil himself came to deceive you, he couldn't do a good job as your own heart could do. But I don't love him anymore. And the Bible says love never faileth. But he understands me. She understands me. The Bible says you don't even understand yourself. What you better do is trust what God has to say about our hearts. Amen and follow Him. He's pretty smart about those things.